Sidewalk Audio and PatioBooks.com presents The Prince of Hazel and Oak A podcast novel by John Lenahan Book 2 of the Shadow Magic series Read by the author Chapter 20 Tawn There were two of them, Kodiak-looking fellows about 19 feet tall, or at least that's what it seemed. To call them bears would be doing them an injustice, like calling a couple of saber-toothed tigers kitty cats. They were actually hairy mountains with teeth and claws. They loped towards us on all fours, but as soon as they made eye contact, they stood up and reared on hind legs. I mentioned before that the sight of wolves in the forest made my heart skip a beat. Well, the sight of these guys at full height produced a code-red cardiac arrest. I wondered if Neve had a magical heart defibrillator in her bag, and then I wondered what the Celtic word was for clear. They dropped back onto all fours and came towards us. They didn't look menacing exactly. I think I could have coped with that. Their expression was far more terrifying. They looked hungry. I heard the creak of Brendan's bow as he pulled his weapon back to full tension. I can shoot these guys, right? No, came a shout from Essa and Araf. Brendan turned to Araf. Why not? It will only make them mad, the imp replied. Girls, I shouted behind me, you'd better hack through those trees. No, Connor, Essa hissed back. You either hack through the trees, or I have to hack a super bear, and I have a suspicion the bear's going to hack back. We did not come here to kill trees and pukas, Essa said. Well, I didn't come here to get a good look at my lower intestines, either. Make a decision, or these bears are going to make one for us. A screech tore my wide and terrified eyes away from the approaching colossi. I looked up and saw what at first looked like a falcon, but as I watched, the feathers on his wings began to be absorbed into what looked like an arm. The sharp beak disappeared into his widening face. Talons extended and became long, lean legs. He was fully human when he hit the ground. What I saw was a bird that in midair turned into a very naked man that then awkwardly slammed face down into the earth. I'm pretty sure even the bears thought it looked painful. As he lay there moaning, one of us really should have asked him if he was all right, but like the bears, we were frozen in shock. By the time he got up, the bears had seen enough and were moving again. He stood up and shouted, Be gone! Now, I don't know about you, but if a naked man fell from the sky and then in all of his dingly dangly glory stood in front of me and shouted, Be gone! then I probably would go. But these pukas slash bears, like the wolves, were not in their right minds. They kept coming. I didn't know what to do. Part of me wanted to step in front of this obviously deranged puka and save him from almost certain disembowelment. Of course, another part of me was delighted to have anything between me and these two mountains of slobber fangs and claws. Hey, I called to him. When he ignored me, I tried again. Excuse me, naked puka guy, can we help in any way? 
He turned to look at me. One side of his face was covered with dirt and grass stains. Stand back, he commanded. Then he reached his hand to his neck, dropped his head to his chest, and went down onto one knee. It looked like he was praying, and I hoped it was a short prayer, because the bears were almost on him. I heard Brendan's bow creak. I couldn't stand to watch. Just as I was about to turn away, he stood up. Then he kept standing up. His feet thinned at the bottom, then his backside grew a tail and widened to the size of a downtown bus. His head grew a rack of flat antlers that must have been as wide as the bears were tall. Short, dark brown hair grew all over his body. When the transformation was done, we all stood open-mouthed. It was the most impressive thing I had seen to date. Standing between us and certain death was what I now know a prehistoric Celtic deer. Imagine a moose the size of a large elephant, and you've got the idea. He dropped his antler-adorned head, scratched the earth with his hind legs, and charged. The bears didn't give it a second thought. They scrabbled out of there, but fast. Mr. Megamoose gave a short chase, then changed back into Naked Man before collapsing onto the frozen earth. Brendan and I ran up to him. Are you all right? I asked. He replied with moans that then became words. Leave this mountain. A raft ran up with a blanket and placed it over him. Without looking up, he angrily pushed it off. Leave this mountain. I placed the blanket back over him. Really, you're going to freeze out here. He scrambled to his feet with a speed that surprised me. Apart from a gold disc that hung on a wire around his neck and the dirt, he was still pretty naked. He spotted Essa and Neve still working on the trees that blocked the gateway. Get away from there. He tried to scream, but his voice was tired and thin. They looked, but continued. He threw his head back, almost falling over. Leave this mountain, he shouted. He staggered as he brought his head down, his eyes still closed. I took a step forward to catch him if he fell. He opened his eyes. I think he expected us to be gone instead of standing around staring at him. A look of mad anger took over his face. He dropped to his knees and grabbed the medallion around his neck. Brendan, Turlow, Araf, and I all took an involuntary step back. Black fur sprouted from every pore. His nose blackened and broadened. The teeth changed just before the snout formed, giving us a good look at the fangs. We took another step back. As his height increased, he tried to stand. That's when the transformation stalled, then stopped altogether. His eyes blinked rapidly, and he shrunk quickly into naked puka guy again as he fell face-first, unconscious, into a raft's waiting arms. The imp carried him over to the gate where Essa and Neve had started a small fire and were brewing tea. Essa wrapped him in more blankets while Neve placed her hands on his temple. When she released his head, she said, He is exhausted and starving. Was he changing into a bear? Essa asked. I think so, Araf said. And he flew in as a bird, Turlow said. Did you see that? Very strange, Essa said. Everyone except Brendan and I nodded in agreement. Look, folks changing into mooses is mighty strange for me, Brendan said. But you people are talking like that's not strange enough. Essa answered him. 
Pukas spend scores, centuries, studying how to change into their chosen animal. I have never heard of a puka that can change into more than one. This must be some sort of master puka. Have you had any joy with the trees? Turlo asked. No, we cannot pass without hurting the trees, Neve said. Then we must hurt the trees, Turlo replied. I will do it. Slow down, honey, Essa said. We have a local here. When he wakes, he may help us through. Or he might just turn into a wolverine and rip our throats out, I said. And did I just hear you call him honey? I said the last bit out loud. I shouldn't have, but I was a bit stunned. The only thing I could ever imagine Essa calling honey was the yellow stuff that bees made. What is wrong with calling my fiancé honey? Essa said with that customary fire in her eyes, but also with maybe just a touch of embarrassment. Yes, fairy, what is wrong with that? Her banshee added. I was racking my brains for a suitable quip that would stop me from getting clocked by Essa or stabbed by the turdlow when I was saved by a moan from the puka. We all looked at him. His head was resting on Neve's lap. He had a mop of sandy blonde hair sitting on top of an almost boyish face. As we watched, he opened his eyes. They were piercing blue. Usually it's the eyes here in the land that give away how old a person is, but this puka's eyes confused me. I instantly thought he was very young, but then I got a fleeting impression of very old age. After that, his peepers were just unreadable. Neve brushed a piece of grass off his cheek and smiled at him. It was nice to see such tenderness from my aunt. I certainly hadn't seen that before. The puka didn't get up, and when he spoke, he was hoarse and hard to hear. You must leave. He closed his eyes again, and I wondered if he had passed out. But then he opened them and looked at each of us. I can't protect you, he said. Neve sat him up, and Essa got some willow tea into him. I could have sworn I had some pachin with me, Essa said. Brendan gave me a furtive, guilty glance. A little bit more of the spark of life returned to our shapeshifter with every sip of willow tea. Araf gave him some food, and he gobbled it down. With a boyish, guilty look, Brendan produced the almost-finished bottle of pachin and handed it to Essa, who gave him such a dirty look I was sure glad I wasn't him. A shot of Jared's special moonshine brought all the color back to our patient's cheeks, and maybe a little extra. He sat with us around the fire, wrapped in about four blankets. We don't seek your protection, Essa said, breaking the silence. We seek Queen Rhiannon. Pukagai made a snorting, laughing sound that I didn't like and said, Queen Rhiannon is indisposed. Nonetheless, we must see her. You cannot. We have come a long way, and we will see the queen with or without your help, Essa said. He threw off his blankets and stood up. Our friendly fireside guest once again became very angry, naked puka guy, which was disconcerting because we were pretty close and sitting. You can't see her. You must leave. His face became repossessed. He reached for his neck. Whoa, 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 puka guy, I said as I grabbed his wrist before his hand made it to his medallion. I don't know you very well, but... I don't think you're up for another one of your quick changes. And anyway, 
There's six of us, and we're all pretty handy. You'd have to turn into a T-Rex to stop us. He stood there, unmoving. I wasn't sure if I was getting through to him. It's okay, really, I said. We're like a royal honor guard here. Me and Araf are princes. Those two are princesses. And Turlo there is like a king. Brendan coughed. Oh yeah, he's a cop. The puka placed his face in his hands. From behind his palms, he said, You cannot see her. No one can see her. I've even brought gifts. Look. I took out the muslin parcel, untied it, and displayed the six hazelnuts. The look on the puka's face was like that of a man lost in the desert for a week being offered a glass of water. Where did you get them? He almost whispered. From the tree of knowledge. The tree was destroyed. This is from the new tree. Essa and I planted it ourselves from my grandfather's hazelwood. The puka stared hard at my face. You are Liam's son? I'm his grandson, Connor. I will take them to her, the puka said. I pulled the hazelnuts out of his reach. No, this is a royal gift from Queen Deirdre of Dor to Queen Rhiannon of Alm. I was instructed to present it to Her Highness in person, or not at all. Lady Deirdre has been found? Ages ago, I said. I sent a runner to find her. He never returned. Was he a curly-haired guy that changed into a wolf? The puka nodded, yes. He found her, but I have bad news. He's dead. Sadness mixed with resignation crossed the puka's face. I'm sorry. Look, is there any way we can have this conversation while you're wearing clothes? You're making me cold just looking at you. He took the blanket I offered and wrapped it around himself. I filled him in on all the major news of the land. Mom and Dad and my return. Kielty getting booted out of Castle Door and the rebuilding of the Hazellands. So you're Deirdre's son. My cousin was your mother's tutor. She was very fond of her. He didn't have to say any more. The look on his face told me that she must have died when the Hall of Knowledge was attacked. My name is Tawn. I will take you, Prince Connor, to see Queen Rhiannon. He stood and placed his hand on the thick branches that blocked the stone portal, mumbled something in a language I didn't recognize, and the trees creaked up and away. Quickly, Tawn said, before the larger animals come back. We grabbed our horses and led them through. As the trees were bowing back down into position, I spotted the pack of wolves eyeing us from among some far trees. They didn't look happy. Inside the wall, small animals, horses, and sheep wandered freely. After I unsaddled Acorn, I expected him to join the local horses for a frolic, but he and the others grazed close by, uneasily. Ton said that the others in my party could make camp where they were, and offered to take me alone to see Queen Rhiannon. I walk with Prince Connor, Araf said. No, Ton was adamant. Connor alone may see the queen. Turlo stood. 
What is to stop you from changing into a bear as soon as you're out of sight and taking Connor's nuts? I was hoping he was talking about the hazelnuts, but either way he had a point. Yeah, what assurances do I have that you won't go all hairy and fangy? You have my word as a child of Alm, but if that is not enough, then here. He reached for the wire that held the medallion around his neck and it expanded at his touch. He slipped it over his head and dropped the gold disc into my hand. I looked to my traveling companions, wordlessly asking them, should I trust him? Ton stepped away and allowed us to confer. Amazingly, Araf spoke first. We have come a long way. I do not like leaving you on your own, and if you are hurt, I shall have to hide from your mother for the rest of my days, but I think you should go. Neve and Essa both agreed. I think he's exhausted and desperate, which makes him unpredictable, Brendan said, but I think he's one of the good guys. You thought I was a murderer. Yes, but if you remember, I also said that you were not a bad man. Turlow was the sole dissenter. We have his changing medallion. We can force him to take us to the Queen without risk. He looked around for support. Oh, don't look at me like that. This is a desperate place, and we have been attacked three times today. Desperate times require desperate measures. I don't know what the others thought, but I was glad of Turlow's opinion. It's good to have at least one person on the team that errs on the side of caution. Ton, I called. Let's go meet the queen. Then I surprised everybody by handing him back his medallion. If you eat me, make sure you let Essa watch. She'd like that. I turned back to the group and said, If I'm not back in two days, then I realized I didn't know how to end that sentence. So I said, Well, if I'm not back in two days, then I'm dead, so you can do what you want. We will be back tomorrow, Ton said. Do not eat any animals. They are not as they seem. Ton and I walked along the wall until we reached a pile of clothes at the base of a tall pine tree. Ton touched the tree and said, thanks. He put on a pair of very baggy brown trousers, a black shirt, a black sealskin coat, some leather boots, and a rabbit fur hat. For a guy that changed into animals, he didn't seem averse to wearing dead ones. We walked over the ridge until we could no longer see my companions. Well, now's a good time to change into a wolf and eat me, I said. I am not that kind of puka, he replied. The ones on the other side of the wall are, though, aren't they? Those pukas are... they are lost. What do you mean lost? I could see he was struggling to come up with an answer. Finally, he said, it is... Not in my power to tell you these things. What you may learn is up to the queen. The hill leveled onto a broad plateau that led into a thick wood in the distance. Any chance of you changing into a horse and giving me a lift? I asked, flashing my house of door smile. Or would that be too demeaning? Ton laughed at that. Not demeaning, Prince Connor, just short. When I asked him what he meant, I got the same stonewalling that I got before. I hoped the queen was more forthcoming. The sun was finally down by the time we entered the forest, but a gibbous moon provided enough light for us to navigate. 
Not far in, the path became broad and ran parallel to a stream. A while later, we came upon small bridges that spanned the stream and led to modest huts. I saw neither a person nor an animal. Finally, we came to a series of ponds, each with a tasteful two-story pine cottage with a porch that hung over the water. They reminded me of really nice country hunting lodges. We must have passed about a dozen pond-slash-house combinations before we came to the last and most impressive house. We entered and Tawn lit several oil lamps. The large room was sparse but elegant. It had that minimalist, feng shui chic, like it was inhabited by someone who didn't need earthly things. In the corner was an ornate, high-backed chair made from polished white pine. Is that the pine throne? I asked. It is. This is Queen Rhiannon's home. I looked around. Where is she? Tawn walked outside onto the porch. At intervals along the railing, there were torches connected by a string of gold wire. The puka touched the gold and mumbled something that made a spark zoom around the wire, igniting the torches around the porch and then around the pond. I now got a good look at the outside of the house. It was nice, really nice, but I still wouldn't have taken it to be a royal palace. The light glimmered mirror-like off the football field-sized pond, reflecting the circle of flickering torches. There, Tawn said, pointing to the pond. I was about to say, where? Then a large fish broke the surface of the pond and then vanished underneath the rippling water. There she is, Tawn said, pointing. There is Queen Rhiannon. You have been listening to The Prince of Hazel and Oak, a podcast novel by John Lenahan. Music gratefully provided by Lunasa. You can hear more of their fabulous music at www.lunasa.ie. That's L-U-N-A-S-A dot I-E. You can learn more about Shadow Magic and its author on www.shadowmagic.co.uk. Thank you so much for listening. Shadow Magic, book one of the series, is available from HarperCollins in paperback, EPUB, and Kindle formats.